Now let us turn our Bibles as we continue in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 to 13. 1 Samuel chapter 12, verses 6 to 13. Now here we have the people gathered before Samuel. And look at verse 6. And Samuel said unto the people, It is the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord. Now when he gathered the people, he made this plea to them, appeal to them in verse 7. Now therefore stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord. The title for the message this morning is Stop and Think About This. That is exactly what Samuel was appealing to them. Stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord. Stop and think about this. Now, what did Samuel bring into bring to their attention? Now, through this passage, you will see he traced relatively briefly, but in fair details, the history of Israel. Come from the time in verse six, from the time where God advanced Moses and Aaron and brought the fathers out of the land. Now, advance means God raised them up. God put them in leadership position, Moses and Aaron, and to bring their forefathers out of the land of Egypt. Now, he traced from that moment until, their, until the time that they were standing before Samuel at this point. Now, what was he emphasizing? What was he emphasizing? Now, he talked about how God, look at verse 8, how when after Israel was formed as a nation, um, oh, so before Israel was formed as a nation in verse 8, well, they came out of Egypt, and then when they came to the promised land, they cried to the Lord, and he sent Moses and Aaron and brought, brought them out of Egypt to bring them to this promised land that they are dwelling in now. And then he talked about, and, they, and when they were in the promised land, their forefathers, look at verse 9, their forefathers, they forget their God. And when they did so, God sold them into the hand of their enemies. Into the hand of and they, their enemies, and they fought against them. And then, when the people in verse 10 cried to the Lord and said, We have sinned, because we have forsaken the Lord, and have served Baalim and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies, and we will serve thee. When they repented in the land, what did God do? In verse 11, the Lord sent Jerobaal and Bidan and Jephthah and Samuel to deliver and delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelt safely. You see, when they turned back to God, God heard their cry and delivered them again, and they continued to dwell in the land. No one could kick them out of the land. You see, he traced their history, basically saying that is, that is their life, from their forefathers till now. Now, what was he really trying, them, trying to reason with them about. He was emphasizing the faithfulness of God to them. All this time, from the very time that God brought him out, 
of the land of Egypt, God was always faithful to them. They need to think about this. Look at verse 12. Now, when you saw Nahash, the king of the children of Ammonites, came against you. Now he's talking about this generation that is standing before them. You said unto me, Nay, but the king shall reign over us. When the Lord your God was your king. When the Lord your God was your king, and yet you, keep ins- you kept insisting to have your own king. What was Samuel really trying to reason with them? God, your king, from your forefathers' time, has been so gracious, patient, faithful to you. Until even your generation, and we have studied from 1 Samuel chapter 1 onwards, how God continued to deliver these people when they cried to Him. And this was that God, that faithful God, and yet, and yet, you say, give us our own king. We don't want him. Look at verse 11. The reality when they said, give us our king. All right, so, so sorry, um, yeah, verse, verse 12. Now, when they saw that um, the Ammonites were, were gathering against them, and when they said, we want a king, all right? So for some time, the Ammonites have been oppressing them. When they saw that, they said, we want a king. We don't care. We just want a king. What were they really saying? Look at verse 12. The Lord was your king. The Lord, the faithful Lord was your king. How could you say, we don't want him. We want our own king. They rejected God as their king. So when they asked for a king, God reveals here that they were rejecting the living God as their own king. That is the bottom line of them asking for a king. Please understand that. In fact, if you turn to chapter 8, please. Chapter 8. Chapter 8. Now, let me read to you verses 6 and 7. Chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. But the king displeased Samuel. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord, verse 7. And the Lord said unto Samuel, Hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee. For they have not rejected thee, but have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. You see, God saw through their intent of asking for a king. They rejected God to reign over them. That is the bottom line. Now, as I've mentioned, having a king over them was not wrong. God already intended that they will have a king. They will transit from um, the period of judges to king. God had that intention, but it was not time. Neither was it the person at that point of time. So God was still working things out. But to them, when they asked for a king, it was not because, well, we have a king and this king will continue to represent God to us, just like the judges always represented God to us. When they asked for a king, they were basically saying, God, we do not want this system anymore. We do not want God to be our ruler, to be our king, to reign over us. We do not want this kind of system anymore. So when they asked for a king, they were not saying, God, now transit us to the period of kings and this king will represent you to us. No, they were, God says they are rejecting him. Full stop. Block off God. Give us our own king. And this king will do what we want him to do. 
We want to get out of the system where the kings and the judges will tell us what God wants. We want this king to do what we want. That is the bottom line. And to Samuel, he's saying, he brought up all these details to say, God has been so faithful to you from the beginning until now. How can you even ask for such a thing? That was the bottom line. Stop and think about this. Now, what are the lessons for us? How did Samuel approach this reasoning with them? Let us see. How did Samuel reason with them? And we must learn lessons from it. Look at chapter 12. Now, if you look, and don't, don't try to do that now, right? I'll just tell you. From verses 6, verses 6 to verse 12, if you notice <clears throat> when it was being read, there is one word that constantly came up, that constantly was repeated. What is that word? I think you will notice it very quickly. Look at verse 6. And Samuel said unto the people, it is the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. In fact, from verses 6 to verse 12, you will see the word the Lord repeated 11 times. He could have said, well, the Lord, then he. But he would say, look at verse 8, for example. The fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses and Aaron. He could simply say, the, you cry, the fathers cried unto the Lord, and then he sent Moses and Aaron. He would not say he, all right? He repeatedly said the Lord, the Lord, the Lord. As you know, you do not need to know Hebrew to, to, to understand this. When you see in the Old Testament, capital L-O-R-D, in the Hebrew word, it will be referring to Jehovah. And God has many names. Capital L-O-R-D, in, in, in Hebrew, Jehovah, would represent his covenantal name. So for, Mo, for, for Samuel to repeatedly use the word, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, is to emphasize one very strong fact to the people and for them to stop and think about what? This is the covenantal, covenantal, this is your covenantal Lord. You are in covenant with Him. You are in covenant with Him. It's like keep telling a spouse who has been unfaithful. They keep saying, your husband, your husband, your husband, or your wife, your wife, your wife, your husband, your wife, your husband, your wife. Or it's like telling an a, a, a unf a, a ungrateful child, your father, your father, your mother, your father, your mother, and keep repeatedly, repeatedly bringing up the word. Why? To make them begin to realize this is a covenantal relationship in the covenant of marriage. How can I be like that? Well, a husband or wife has been so faithful and I say, I don't want you anymore. How is it possible? So he kept bringing up the covenantal name to awaken them, to reason with them. And you will see how he will use that to show them the covenantal Lord is very faithful to you. Now, what is in the covenant? Now, we know all this head knowledge. We have to now begin to say, Lord, apply it to my life. A covenant consists of, number one, parties. Right? Just like you enter into covenant, you don't enter in covenant yourself. There are parties involved. And this is between God, the living God, and Israel. God chose Israel to be in covenant with him. All the other nations God could have chosen, he did not. He formed Israel into a nation and said, I will enter into covenant with you. Although you are small, although I know that you, you're often very weak and, and uh, you're always weak and you're very often unfaithful, but I enter into covenant with you. 
parties. And then you know that covenants have purposes. There is a clear purpose. God entered into covenant with Israel for them to be His people, to represent Him to the rest of the world, to be witnesses to the rest of the world, to bring His word. He only gave His word to Israel. Israel was to show forth, bring forth His word to other nations, not only by teaching, but by the way they live as witnesses. So God has a purpose for Israel. And then you know, the third thing about covenant is there are promises, terms and conditions. Just like any covenant on this earth, you, you meet the terms of the covenant, promise to have blessings. You break the terms of the covenant, there will be penalties, chastisement. Now, why is it important to understand this? Just for theological knowledge? No. He was reminding them of their purpose. He was reminding them of who they are in party with. Who is this they are in party with, in covenant with? And he was also reminding them, look, when you obeyed God, God blessed you. When you disobeyed God, God faithfully kept his promise to chastise you. How do we know that? Now, look at um, verse 9. And when they forget the Lord, their God, he sold them into the hand of Caesarea, captain of the host of Hazor. It was not that, that well, Hazor, they were strong. No. God simply says, I kept my faith, I was faithful to my covenant. When you forget me, I am the one who sold you into, um, into captivity into the hand of your enemies. I was the one. He faithfully kept that. But please note also, look at verse, um, verse 11. And when they cried unto the Lord, we have sinned. In other words, they acknowledge. And they say, we, we have served Balaim and Ashtaroth, but deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee. When they return to the purpose, when they say, we have sinned, we have served other gods. Now, we want to return and serve you. We are sorry. When they return to the purpose, what did God do in verse 11? God sent all these judges. God raised judges after judges after judges after judges. Every time they repent and sincerely turn back to God and want to serve God, return to their purpose, God, always, God was always faithful to his promises as well. He forgave them. He raised judges to deliver them. God always, Samuel was basically telling them, God always kept his promises in this covenant. It is you who need to now stop and think. You want to now say, God, we, we throw away all this. We don't care about all this. We don't want God to be our our ruler anymore? How can you even think like that? Now, what is the what are the lessons for us? What are the lessons for us? Now, I think the first lesson is for us to realize, Christians, we look at verse seven. We need to stand still and listen to the reason of God's word. 
You know, sometimes we are so caught up, so engrossed in our own life, in our own pursuits, maybe even necessary things in life. We come to a point where we just go through life, go through life and make decisions and do this and do that. Now to the point where we, we actually do not think, I am in covenant with God. Now all these decisions that I make, all these pursuits that I have set for myself, all these aims that I want to achieve in my life. Now how does this feature in my covenantal relationship with God? Am I actually like the children of Israel? beginning to just forget about God? Now, let us learn about the progress, all right? Let us learn about the progress where we will end up being so ungrateful, unthankful, unfaithful to God. Look at the progress. Stop ourselves and think, are we going through this process ourselves? Look at verse um, verse 8, verse 9. Now, when they forget the Lord their God, that is the first step that will eventually lead us to become like them. And ungrateful to the faithful God. Now, the second thing in verse 9. Um, so, first they forget. Then, verse 10. And they, cr and, and they cried unto the Lord and said, We have sinned because we have forsaken the Lord. They have forgotten and they themselves acknowledge that they come to a stage now they've forsaken the Lord. He advanced to that. Now then he advanced to this current generation, which is in verse 12. Now when you saw Nahash, the king of the children of Ammonite, come against you, you said, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Now they would forego, forego God as the gracious, loving king over their lives. They reject, they rejected God. Now this is the tracing of the progress of the children of Israel from forgetting to forsaking and then to just outward, outright rejecting. Know that in verse 12, when, when they say, nay, but a king shall reign over us. Do you know what they're saying? They're basically saying this. Not only we, forgot, we, we forget, we forsake, but now, we, as far as we are concerned, now, no matter who are the enemies, no matter if the whole world comes against us, we don't care. No, we don't care. Nay, like children. No, daddy. No, mommy. No, always no. No, I don't care. Just give me the, my, our king. That is all. How, will we pro, how would we progress to this stage like them? And that was what Samuel was saying. He traced, they were like that, but you are worse than them. At least they turn back and say, Lord, we will serve you. You simply say, we don't even want king, him to rule over us. Means we don't want to serve him. We want our king to serve us. How can you be like that? How did they reach to this stage? What is forget? What is forget? We have to stop and begin to ask ourselves, is this happening in my own life that, have, that, have, that would eventually lead me to this current generation that Samuel is talking to? where we just outright reject God over our lives. What is forget? This cycle that they go through. Now, forget is not they lost memory of and um, they cannot remember at all, right? 
in scriptures when it's used, they forget God. You know Israel, God always said, you forget me. But you know full well. They continue to worship God. They continue to go to the temple. They continue to offer, offer sacrifices. They had the priesthood. They continued all this worship. But yet God says, you forget me. What is forget? Now it means they no longer paid attention to. They began to ignore. Cease to care about. They were worshipping God. They were offering sacrifices. They were calling Jehovah their God. But the reality is in their decisions, in their choices, in their life, in their aims, they just do not want, they, they just ignore God. They don't feature God in those things. It begins there. It is a very common description of Christians today. You come to church. Week after week, you even come for prayer meetings, but attend Bible studies. But as far as your decisions in life, students, let me ask you, your choice of studies, have you forgotten God? See, no, pastor, I don't forget God. I come every week. I hear God's name every week. I sing about God every week, even at home. Have you forgotten God in a sense where you don't, just, you don't feature Him in your, in your choices anymore? You, you don't think about Him. You don't pay attention to what God wants. Why do Christians hardly study the Word of God today? Why? Because they do not care about paying attention to what God wants them to be, how God wants them to live, what is God's will, perceptive will is one example. They don't really want to pay attention to that anymore. It's all about I've, I listen to the world, what I want my family to be, my life to be. I listen to all that and God, I'm praying to you, please make it so for me. That is all. You don't pay attention to what God wants in your life. If you're honest, working adults, do you pay attention to what God wants you to do in your life? It's all about, I want to join this company, I want to do that, I want to be this, I want to... And that is all. It begins there. You forget God. What about families? You do not pay attention to what God expects of you as a husband, as a wife. You do not pay attention to what God wants the family to be like. No, you pay attention to what the world tells you your family should be like. What about elderlies? How much time do you really think about God during the day? You have the time. Is it always about your food, your health, your, your entertainment? How much do we really feature God in our thoughts? That was the beginning of Israel. All right? Be very careful, Christians. If your life is one of, I am just cruising, I come to church as I, when I should, and the rest of the time, the rest of the week, my heart and mind is, I forget God. I ignore Him. Prayerlessness, prayerlessness is that. Prayerlessness is the beginning of I forget God. You see, when you are prayerful, and that is why God says pray without ceasing. A Christian that prays without ceasing cannot avoid but to think about God. Of course, we are talking about genuine prayers, which we've learned about. When you ask yourself, do you have a life of prayer? If you do not, you are already in this state. I forget God. I do not think much about Him. 
I ignore Him through the day. I wake up from the time I wake up to the time I fall asleep, just in between, and that is all. I forget God. When God says, pray without ceasing, it is for our good that we don't reach this stage. Don't begin here. But I believe that many of us are here. Then let's see what it will lead to. Look at the next one in verse, um, in verse 10. Now, at least they acknowledge. In verse 10, we have sinned because we, because we have forsaken the Lord. Now, they knew they started with forgetting, and they were honest enough to say we have forsaken. It got worse. From forgetting, it will get to forsaking. What is forsake in scriptures? Now, this is, now it is an intentional neglect. Departing from intentional neglect. Means, if you live a life where you say, well, I don't really need to pray. I just go about my own life. I just live this nominal Christian life. Now, it will lead to the next stage where it is not just about, well, I just didn't think much about God. It will lead to, well, even when I think about God, I will intentionally ignore, intentionally neglect. Means you will know, when you know the word, you will have the attitude of, well, I, I really just neglect this part. I, I won't, this part of, of God's word, I don't intend to obey. I just neglect it. It will lead to the next stage. You see, in here, look at verse um, verse 10. Forsaken the Lord and served Baala, Baalim and Ashtaroth. You see, when you forget about God, it is just, well, you don't think much. Then it leads to forsake. And when you begin to do that, intention, neglect, the bottom line is, how do we know that, that we have now forsaken? You will begin to serve idols. Idols. Don't take forgetting God lightly. They acknowledge in their heart the reason why we have begun to serve idols, Baalim, many gods, Ashtaroth, also plural, feminine plural gods, male, female, and all sorts, all plural in Hebrew. We serve all sorts of gods, all sorts of gender of gods. Why? Why? They say, well, when it comes to this, yes, we know God wants us to live like that. Yes, we know God says, don't do this, don't, don't pursue that, but we just intentionally neglect it. Are, are we already like that? Before you become someone who is ungrateful, unfaithful to God, it is this cycle, it is this, this stage. Now then, eventually, you will just say, well, I don't really care. Studies is my idol. I will serve that. I will neglect God. I will intentionally not go and study God's word anymore, take courses anymore. I will intentionally not attend prayer meetings anymore. You intentionally put your studies, put your job pursuits, put your career advancement, put your, your, your family and your children ahead of God. You will just intentionally neglect all these things. I'm not saying don't study. I'm not saying don't, don't work. I'm not saying don't take care of your health. But now those things are priority over God in your life. You intentionally neglect the priority of God. It starts from forgetting, just living the nominal cruising life, don't really involve God, and eventually it will lead to idolatries in your life. That is how it is. Your children will become your idols. 
Now then, we reach this stage, and that is what he highlighted to them in verse 12. And when ye saw Nahash, the king of the children of Ammonite, came against you. So they have been uh, most likely gathering against the children of Israel for some time already. So when they asked for a king, it was in response to Nahash coming against them. And then finally, Nahash said, well, you, you, you pierced out your right eye. Remember we studied? Now, Samuel here is saying, you were given a chance. Now, your forefathers, at least for them, when they were chastised, they turned back to God. They turned back to their covenantal purpose. They said, we will serve you. We will serve you. Your purpose. We will live for you. You redeem us. You enter into covenant with us. We will serve you. At least your forefathers had that sense, had that semblance of thankfulness to God for delivering and they will turn back to God. At least they had that. But you are worse. Look at verse 12. When Nahash came against you, now God was already beginning to chastise the children of Israel. We saw that in the earlier chapters. For the way they have forgotten and forsaken God and they serve many idols, God was already beginning to chastise them by sending Nahash to camp against them for some time already. But instead of being like their forefathers where they realized, you know, it is our sin. We serve Baalim and Ashtaroth like our forefathers and instead of saying we should now turn back to him, ask him for help and turn back to serve our covenantal purpose and live the purpose for which he made us into a nation. Instead of that, they say, no, we don't care. Even the whole world comes against us. We don't care. We don't want God to be our king. We want our own king. You are worse. You just basically say, I don't even want to return to my covenantal purpose. Now that is how we will end up. Young, pe young person, student, teens, don't take lightly, and adults as well, don't take a life of just going through the day, not thinking about God, not praying, go through your life, not studying the Word of God, and just eat, drink, play with your friends, sports, and all that thing. Don't take such a life, and adults as well, of just all about eating, drinking, holidaying, meeting with friends and hobbies and all that. Don't take such a life lightly. This was the progress that Samuel traced for them. You will reach a point eventually. And we've seen this. A lot of teens love the Lord when they're young. Maybe it's one of you. Want to love the Lord, want to live for the Lord. And in university, still like that. But some before they reach university, in high school, they already have now intentionally neglected many commandments of God to be worldly to be accepted of the world, to be like the world. And that's what they were asking. Give us a king because we want a king like the people of the, like the nations, like the nations of the world. That is what they wanted. Don't take such a life lightly. Adults, do you have your quiet time? Same for teens, same for elderlies. Do you have your quiet time? Do you have a dedicated time of prayer? This applies to every child of God. If you don't, you will, you will move to forsake. Some of you, from your Facebook, from your conversation, has already exhibited that. Whether it's adults, whether it's families, whether it's teens. You have already 
chosen to neglect God in some of the things. And we've seen many leave our midst. Eventually, many of such Christians will say, I do not want to hear about a holy life. I'm sick of a whole, hearing a holy life. God wants me to be this. God wants me to obey that. Always about God. I'm sick of this. I want to look for a church that panders to me. Many have left. Eventually, it will be. I will just have a very... Now, this, this rejection of God is I will have a very low view of God. I will esteem God very lightly. You see, the children of Israel, when they say, we know we don't care. After Samuel pleaded with them earlier on, no, we don't care. Who is God? Why must God rule over us? That was their heart. You will reach that stage. Why must, I, why must it always be about God and His will and His purpose? Why can't it be about me? I want to be, I want to be popular. I want to have money. I want to have, enjoy this life. Why can't it be that? Why must it always be about God? You see, they were in covenant with God. The fact that, that Samuel repeatedly said, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord, is to remind them, you are in covenant with God. The application for ourselves, the moment God saved you, if you're a child of God, you enter into the covenant of grace. God saved us by the covenant of grace. It's the same covenant that God entered in with Abraham, all the way to Isaac, to Jacob. All the way. It's the same covenant. The Old Testament Covenant of grace, the New Testament, the covenant of grace. Different administration, that is all. We are all saved by grace. We enter into this covenant. And why did God save you? Why did God save you? Do you have the idea that God saved me just to take me out of hell? God doesn't want me to suffer in hell? Yes, that is true, but that's only partial. God has a purpose for you, just like he had a purpose for Israel when he entered into covenant with Israel. Israel was useless to God. They were weak, small, but God said, I choose you and I will help you and I will give you that privilege. When God saved you, you are immediately in covenant with God. There's no such thing as, I want to be saved, I do not want him to be Lord over my life. That's why the Bible is always clear. Lord and Saviour, Lord first. You will always find the Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The Lord and Saviour is always Lord first. Until you accept the Lordship, you cannot be saved. What is your life? God, I just want to avoid hell. No, God says, I have a purpose for you, a wonderful privilege for you. You know, Christians, what's the chief end of men? What's the purpose of God saving us? And we say, whatsoever you do, do to the glory of God, right? The chief end of men is to glorify God. Do you realize that you and I cannot add a single ounce of glory to the glory of God. God's glory is infinite. But yet he said, I save you to glorify me. Is, it, is God saying, you know, I don't have enough glory, so I need to save more people, then they may glorify, glorify me, my glory grows. No, God's glory is infinite. He don't need us to glorify him. When he say, I save you to glorify me, it means this. You have the privilege in this covenant to show people who I am. That is your privilege. When we glorify God, it is always for our good. Don't turn it upside down. All right? Don't say that, well, God, God owes me. I've, I live a consecrated life for Him. I sacrifice something for Him. God owes me now. 
It's always the other way around. Whenever you live for God, it's always for your good. Anytime you live for the glory of God, it's always for your benefit. Israel was the same. When they live for the glory of God, it's always to the benefit of Israel. God saved you for a purpose. Young person, elderly, singles, families. God saved you for a purpose. Have you forgotten that? What are you pursuing at this moment in your life? What is important to your family at this moment in your life? Is it to fulfill your covenantal purpose, to, which is to love Him, to serve Him, to be a witness for Him? Is it that? Now then, God said, when God reminded them, when Samuel kept reminding them about the covenant, is to bring them back to the purpose. But they say, no, we don't want to serve God's purpose anymore. We just want our own king to do what we want. That is all. Now then there is the other thing. Have you made up your mind in some areas in your life where you say, God, I will come to church. God, I will even study your word and come for prayer meeting. But God, in certain areas of my life or my family, or my job, or my career, or my health, or my finances. Please, in those areas, as far as I'm concerned, you are not Lord. That is my area, that is my life. Those areas, I reject your lordship over me. I reject your kingship over me. Is there any area in your life, Christian, that is like that? I think the problem for us is we don't stop and think enough about who God is, what he has done for us. This is exactly what Samuel wanted them to do. Stop. You have asked for a king, and in your heart you know is you rejected God. You don't want, you just tell God, God, don't touch our life. I will come and worship you in the temple. I will give my offerings. I'll bring my offerings. But God, just don't rule over me. Just don't tell me how to live my life. Have you reached that stage? Stop and think. You know, God does not need you and I. But Jesus Christ came to die, to save you and I, to purchase you and I with his own precious blood. We are very, to, to use the, the word weak is too, is too weak. We are very weak creatures. We have no use for him. But yet he chose to save you and I and bring us into this privilege. Stop and think of that. Stop and think about how faithful he has been to you. Every time well, you go through life and then you realize, oh, I've sinned against God. God is chastising me. Then you cry to God, God, please, don't chastise me anymore. My child, please heal my child. Please, please, please um, let me have a job again. Please, or your health, your own health, whatever it is, a financial situation, family situation, you cry to God and you knew that God was chastising you. You cry to Him and God helped. When you say, Lord, I, I, would, I will repent, I will turn back to you and serve you and live for you once again. God helped. How many times have God done that? For you, elderly, how many times have God done that in your whole life till now? The fact, like he said, that you are living in this land because of the goodness of God, his faithfulness to you. Elderly, you are still alive. You have what you have 
whether it's health or finances or what, you have all those things because of God, nothing else. Students, you're able to study. You're able to progress year after year in school because of God, nothing else. What are then things that we need to stop and think about? A few things. Number one, stop and think about our our unfaithfulness. Stop and think about our unfaithfulness. You see, now just stop, stand still. Let me reason with you. This God has been so faithful to you. But now, you say, God, get lost. How can you be like that? You know, this whole idea of faithfulness in our generation is all gone. Marriages do not emphasize faithfulness anymore. Anytime you feel like you just divorce, that is the thinking of society today. Even among Christians, the whole idea of faithfulness and loyalty is absent. Remember we studied about the sins of the end times for Christians? People will, have, will not have natural affection. The natural response to love, the natural response to, to kindness is to be faithful and grateful. But this is lost. Today, people just divorce without thinking. No matter how faithful the spouse has been, what the spouse has done, very often you hear, right? Elderly men, when they are in their 70s, just dumb the wife of, of 50 years or more who has been faithful, helping him, taking care of him, and then go after a young woman. It's very common, very, very common. The whole idea of loyalty and faithfulness in gratefulness is gone. Now, young person, are you, are you faithful to your parents after all that they have done for you? If you cannot be faithful or grateful to parents who you see, who you see suffer for you, I've said this many times, you will never learn to be grateful to the covenantal God who died for you, who protected you, who continues to provide for you. You will never know that. The test, young person, every time you well up in unfaithfulness, ungratefulness to your parents, stop and think and tell yourself, if I don't learn from a young age to be grateful to my parents, I will never grow up to be grateful to God. Know that. That is why God included the fifth commandment. Honour your father and your mother. It's not, to make, it's not to elevate your father and mother. It's to teach you. If you don't learn to honour them, you will never learn to honour me. Never. Now, in fact, today in Christianity, it is all about me. All about me. God wants you to have what you want. God wants you to love yourself. God is there waiting to love you. It's all about me. Nothing to do with be faithful and grateful to God. Very little of that. No, God is the one who who is there to be faithful to you. That is all. It's a warped Christianity. The old Christianity from the beginning has always been stop and think and don't be ungrateful and unfaithful to this covenantal God of yours. It has always been that. Now, last time we were in chapter 12, 
Samuel took some time to say, my life has been like that, like that, like that, like that. Right? What was Samuel actually doing? Was Samuel trying to lift himself up and say, you know, what a good prophet I have been to Israel. I want you to follow his argument. Look at chapter 12. Look at chapter 12. Now, he asked them a whole series of questions. Basically, to have I defrauded you in any way? And when, when there is any failure, have I never made right for you? And look at verse 12, chapter 12. Now, verse 4. And they said, Thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And then verse 5. And he said unto them, The Lord is witness against you. What is he saying? Was he trying to promote himself? No. He was leading into this argument in verse 6 onwards. What was he doing? He was saying, now, you said with your own lips, you know in your own heart, I have been faithful, consistent, and I've not defrauded you in anything. You said it with your own heart. In fact, in verse 4, and they said, thou hast not defrauded us. It was almost like a tone of, no, 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 you have not. You know, we, we, we cannot argue, speak against you. You have not defrauded us. You have been very good to us, very faithful, very diligent. We can't say anything against you. Now, at that point, then he says, verse 6, verse 6 and 7, now he said, God is far more faithful, infinitely more faithful. If you think that you cannot say a single word against me, God is infinitely more faithful to you than I. And if you bow your head now and say, no, no, you have not, you have not done, done us wrong, how much more you must bow your head in shame to have asked for a king in rejecting God. You see, Samuel was initially dejected. He felt that he's been a faithful prophet to Israel, but yet they say, we don't want you anymore. We do not want you as a judge. Put a king in your place. That was what they were asking. That is why God had to comfort Samuel. God had to comfort Samuel and say, Samuel, don't be discouraged. It looks like they have rejected you. No, Samuel, they have rejected me because you represent me. So when they reject you, they are actually saying, we do not want you to represent God anymore. Give us a king that represents us and our, 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 our um, plans. They have not rejected you. So Samuel initially was dejected reject, after this rejection. So now he, he tells them, you rejected me after all my faithfulness towards you. But let me help you understand when you insisted on a king that is what you're doing to God far worse than what you're doing to me infinitely worse so he was bringing this up to reason with them if I if you if you do this to me and you feel bad how should you feel about what you have done to God that is his argument now Christian sometimes we read about well unfaithful spouses Sometimes we read about, well, horrible, ungrateful children in the news. And then we say, well, oh, these people are so despicable, so horrible. But if we look ourselves in the mirror, the mirror of God's word, the forget, the forsake, and the forego, I think we are no different, if not worse, than them. That's a reality. This is what Samuel wanted them to face 
for themselves. When you say, we want our own king, basically, you shut the door in God's face and say, God, just get lost. That is a reality, despite his faithfulness and goodness to them. So, one of the things to, to learn is this. Faithfulness, check our faith. Stop and think about whether we have been unfaithful and ungrateful to God. Now, then the other thing is this. Well, maybe just about this faithfulness and gratefulness. Christian, do you realize that you and I, if not for the kindness, the graciousness of God, we will be no different from the druggie on the street. We will be no different from the person that is in prison. We would have stolen. We would have been caught. We have been, or we will be no different from many of those people that committed these terrible crimes. We will be no different if not for the grace, the constraining grace and goodness of God. That we sit here and we feel, wow, you know, I made, I made myself a self-made man and all these things. Think again. We are what we are purely because of God's faithfulness. That is all. How can we, how can we say, Lord, when it comes to this matter, I, I don't want to think about what you want. And then I also would intentionally neglect what you want. And then eventually I say, God, please don't even think about expecting me to obey this in my family, in my career, in my whatever it is. How can we be like that? You know, I, on the plane back from Singapore, I watched a documentary called um, Maximum Prison, all right, in Singapore. And I wanted to see um, what prison life is because I felt that, well, if I were not safe, I may be one of them in there. It's purely by the grace and goodness of God that kept me. They kept all of us. I said, I want, to, I want to watch this and let myself realize I am the one that should be there, even in hell, worse than prison. So I watched it. Now, there was one person who was supposed to be um, hung in the gallows, but for some reason, he got spared. And he was very grateful to have a second lease of life. They showed how he, prison, right? No tables, nothing in a small little cell. He said, I will make full use of this second lease of life given to me. And I will not make my parents be ashamed of me anymore. He started to, there's such a thing as prison school, I didn't know. Right? For those who want to study, they let them study. So he said, I will want to do my um, Cambridge ordinary level exams again. I was a terrible child, terrible student. I, f I failed and I didn't care about my studies. Now I want to study and hopefully by the time I get out 20 over years later, I can make something of myself and make my parents not be ashamed and, be and to show them my gratefulness, not to, not, to, not to waste their effort in bringing me up. That was his attitude, second lease of life. And they don't have table. They, they literally crouch over the floor, lie on the floor and do all their homework and their, their, their study lie on the floor. And he said, I'm old, you know, this is giving me a backache. But he treasured every single moment. He was grateful. Child of God, God's salvation gave us this second lease in life, to live for his privilege. But we don't treasure it like these people. 
We should be in hell. We should have nothing to do with God. But God entered into covenant of grace to save you. We must be grateful, very, very grateful, and make use of every moment of our lives for Him and not to shame Him, not to disappoint Him anymore. This was what Samuel was trying to reason with them and drill into them. Your fathers, the, the fact that you're staying in this land is God's repeated goodness and faithfulness from the forefathers till now. But now you just say, I, I don't care. Teens, is that what you're saying in your heart? God, I don't care. I'm sick and tired of hearing the church telling us to obey God and to this and not do that. And I'm sick and tired of that. Or are you in your heart, Lord, you saved me. I am the one that should be in hell. I'm the one that should be in prison now. Even I would have gone out with my school friend and stolen things in the supermarket and I would have been thrown in prison. I am the one who should be there. But God, you, you spared me. You protected me. You kept me. Lord, how can I say I don't care about you? Adults, likewise. Seniors, likewise. How can we be like that? So let's, let's stop and think about our unfaithfulness, our ungratefulness. Now we think about our shamefulness. How shameful it is. You know, when we sometimes receive some help, some kindness from people, we are very grateful and we are very careful not to offend the person. We, we even go out of the way to make sure that we, that we show gratefulness and we do things, all right, to, not to grieve the other person because we are grateful, all right? I'm not saying that is bad. But sometimes I wonder, when it comes to God, are we so sensitive? Are we so careful? God, I do not want to grieve you. God, if I did this, if I did that, if I ignore you, if I reject you in this and that, God, how would you feel? God, I'm so, I'm so conscious. After all that you've done for me, your love to me, your patience with me, God, I really do not want to grieve you. That's how, faith, that's how grateful children are, right? Daddy and mommy says, don't do that. Even they love to do it. Say, I don't want to make daddy and mommy upset. I will just obey. Are you that sensitive, that careful with God? Now, I'm not saying God is this lonely old man in heaven and he's, he's very um, um, deficit in attention and he just, and let's, let's love God a bit and let's, let's be nice to him. Hopefully, he feel better. I'm not painting God like that. God is the infinite, glorious God that the angels worship and adore and serve day and night in heaven. That is the God that we are worshipping. Now, in our hearts, Lord, I do not want to cause you, to cause your heart to be grieved. That is why God says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. That is us. So sensitive, so careful. Why is it to do shamefulness? We should be very ashamed. Just like this person in prison, every time he talked about his parents, he said, I am so ashamed. I disappointed them. I'm so ashamed that I treat, I, I did things which ended up breaking their hearts. I am so ashamed that I'm such a son. There is shame, even in unbelievers. How can, it, how can there not be shame in us? You know, I had a colleague when she goes, um, or he goes on a business trip, and then he comes back, and then um, when the, when the, 
wife opens the door. All he does is, um, doggy, doggy, where are you? And then the, dog was, the wife wanted to hug him. He says, doggy, where are you? And hugged the dog. And then the wife said, I'm not even comparable to a dog. I think that is us. That is us. We miss our pets. We worry about our, how our pets feel. We are so concerned about our pets. We have very little concern about how God feels. When you pray, how do you pray? When you confess your sins, how, what goes through your heart and mind about your attitude towards God? Very little of that, isn't it true? Our confession is so cold, it's so matter-of-fact. How God has, what, what God has done for us and yet we still sin against Him. I think the most amazing thing on this earth, next to Christ, that, that God would die for terrible sinners, ungrateful creatures as us. I think the next thing that is most amazing than that is this, that we who are blood-bought children of God can actually sin against God and not care about how He feels. I think that is the most amazing thing. Isn't it true? Parents, you will say, it's the most amazing thing. I brought up this child with my sweat and blood. I suffered for this child. It's the most amazing thing that this child has no gratefulness, thankfulness, and does not care about how I feel. It's the most amazing thing. Isn't it true? Now, we need to stop and really think, are we like that with God? Don't have a Christianity that is just, I came to church, right? I studied the Bible, right? I, I, uh, um, I serve, right? All this, right, right, right? Samuel tried to bring them to face, to stop and to face who they are really and their attitude towards God. That is what we need to have more of. Now, in closing, I would say, now, therefore, in application, right, in application, ultimately, Samuel was rebuking them for their ungratefulness and unfaithfulness to such a loving and patient God. Now, ultimately, Christians, our living, whatever age you may be, whatever stage of life you may be, our living must always be constrained by the love of God. Constrained. The thought of who he is, but yet what he would do for me and continue to do for me as long as I live for him, he will always protect and provide. Why would he do that when I'm so useless to him, constrained by that thought? Here, Samuel was saying, God did all this for you and you cannot be constrained to be faithful to him. First, he started with himself. You yourself said, right, I've, I've not defrauded you and yet you throw me out. But I want to, I'm not bringing that up about me. I want you now to think about what you're doing to God. You're ashamed of what you're doing to me. Be ashamed of what you're doing to God. You should be so constrained to live for Him. Teens, children, don't obey God because daddy and mommy and church tells you to. Obey God because you as a young child know that God, God who created this heaven and earth came to die and save you. You obey God. You love God simply because of, being, of thinking, how can I do this and be unfaithful and ungrateful to God? 
Now, singles, don't live for God, thinking that, well, you know, no one's going to take care of me when I'm old. I better be obedient to God. At least God will take care of me when I'm old. Don't have such thoughts. Many singles in Christianity think like that. They say, I'd be very, better be faithful because uh, no one's going to take care of me, you know, so I'm dependent on God. Don't. Be faithful to God simply because of what He has done for you and what kind of faithful God and loving God He is. Simply that. Simply that. Now, elderly, likewise, don't be faithful to God simply because, well, you're dependent on Him not to fall sick. Think of all the things that He has done for you despite your unfaithfulness to Him in so many ways during your younger days. Be constrained to say, Lord, enough. Enough, Lord. I no longer just waste and spend my time mindlessly in all this eating, drinking, exercising, and that's all I care about. No more, Lord. Let me live a life of prayer. Let me live a life of studying your word, obeying your word, and be a testimony. Families, likewise. Don't bring up your children hope, obeying God, simply hoping that, well, God will make them successful in life. Bring up godly seed because you are thankful to God. Now, last but not least, those of you who serve God in one way or another in the church, keep yourself from sin. Not because, well, if I, if I have unclean hands, impure hearts, um, then, then, then God will not use my service. Yes, that is true. But that should not be what constrains you not to sin, to live a pure life. What constrains you must be, God, you gave your life. You purchased me. This life belongs to you. I serve you simply because you are such a faithful and loving and kind and gracious and patient God to me. I serve you simply because of that. Nothing else. In closing, now I also saw this documentary about someone... A, person who wanted to be a vet, a vet, veterinary, looking after animals. And he said the reason why he wanted to be a vet because he admired the character of his pet dog, his pet dog. He said when he was young, um, a big dog, he was sitting on a tree, a big dog was going to attack him, all right? They adopted this, this, this stray dog, all right? Adopted this stray dog, took care of it, fed it, um, not much of a dog. They just chain it to a pole with a chain. They chain the dog there. Right? Then he was sitting on the tree, and then a big dog, the neighbor's dog, was going to attack him. And he said, that mongrel, that mongrel, right? But was barking and straining himself against the chain, and he broke the chain. Can you imagine? He broke the chain and, rescued, and went to attack the dog which was much bigger than this dog. It got, it got mauled. And no matter how the big dog was attacking, mauling him, the dog never left his side. The dog kept fighting back until the big dog ran away. But by the end of it, the dog was so torn up. It was a small dog. Now, why do I bring up this story? This man said he really admired the character of the animals. I want to ask you and I today, that dog was so thankful, so grateful, and then became so faithful to, to a master that just took him in and fed him. That's all. That's all. Did not die for him, had spare food to give him, but this is God who came to die for us. 
this Lord was so faithful to the point where it could break the chain. That is the kind of love, faithfulness, sense of protection, sense of thankfulness, would even give his life because it was given life. How are we compared to dogs? That is something that we really need to stop and think about. Let us rise to sing the closing hymn. The rise, rise to sing the closing hymn 408. Hymn 408. Shall we rise? Hymn 408.